Thank you, Cameron, for reading our scripture tonight. We're glad that you're present, and we hope that the time that we have together tonight will be beneficial. We're grateful for each and every person here tonight, especially our visitors. As always, we invite you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We're going to be looking in just a moment at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we want to zero in tonight on verses 50 through 58. We're going to be talking about heavenly incentives. The songs that we sang tonight remind us of the hope that we have before us, that is the hope of heaven. And I would hope and pray that all of us are living so that one day we can be together in heaven. Think about the words of Jesus in John chapter 14 when he said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And so tonight as we think about some of the incentives for living a godly life in Christ Jesus and the hope of heaven that is before us, I want to call attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 58. In this chapter, the Apostle Paul talks about the validity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Paul had said to the saints in Rome that Jesus Christ was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness. In chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, Paul identifies some eyewitnesses to the resurrected Lord. He points out that if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then really living a Christian life is futile, isn't it? He said, our preaching is vain, our faith is vain, and we're yet in our sins. We know, we believe that Jesus did indeed break the bonds of death. And based on the fact that Jesus Christ came forth from the tomb, we have the hope of one day being victorious over death itself. And so in chapter 15, Paul writes in a very specific way about the future resurrection of the body that is placed in the cemetery, thus giving each and every one of us hope, hope beyond this veil of tears. As we think about what the Apostle Paul is saying in this chapter, and as we look at the context, I want to begin... Now, first of all, talking about the manifestation of the Lord. And really what Paul is going to emphasize here is the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven. The fact that one day the Lord, as we know, as we know him, will indeed come forth from heaven. Now, there's no sense in speculating when that will be because we just don't know. Jesus said, of that day and hour knoweth no man, not the angels of heaven, He said, but my father only in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. So if Jesus said that the angels of heaven don't know, then who would we be to suggest that we know? The bottom line is no one knows. But in verses 50 and following, Paul talks about the manifestation of the Lord. Listen to him beginning in verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, and there is an allusion there 
to the body that is resting in the cemetery. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. The Bible talks about the audible coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul here alludes to Jesus coming and he says, when he does come, the trumpet will sound. When he wrote to the saints in Thessalonica, he would say that the Lord himself would ascend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. And so when the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven, everyone will know about it, living or dead. As a matter of fact, those in the tombs will hear the voice of the Son of God, and as Jesus said, they will come forth. Those that have done good to the resurrection of life and those that have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So there will be, audibly speaking, the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ and there will be the visible revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 1, in verse 7, John said, Behold, he comes in the clouds. And he said, every eye shall see him. There's not going to be some secret coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but according to the Apostle John, and John wrote in about A.D. 95 or 96, every eye shall see him. As a matter of fact, John said, even the one who pierced the side of the Son of God will see him. And so when the Lord Jesus Christ is manifested from heaven, everyone will know about it living or dead, it will occur at the last trumpet. As Paul said, Jesus will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. And so there is the manifestation of the Lord, and then there is in the second place, the transformation by the Lord. And here we have the resurrection by the Lord. The body that is placed in the grave will one day be resurrected, will it not? There will be a viable change that occurs on this grand day. So, listen again to what Paul said. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment. That word moment is the word from which our term, Adam, comes from, A-T-O-M. And it means that which cannot be cut in two or divided. And really what he's saying is that it will occur in a split second. The time that is spoken of here is so minute that it cannot be subdivided any farther. That's how fast it will occur. Now, Jesus said that when he comes forth, the dead are going to be raised. Paul said that those who are living, those who belong to the Lord, they'll be caught up together with him to meet him in the clouds in the air. What about this viable change that's going to occur? Well, we well know that when we place a body in the cemetery, it is an earthly body, isn't it? It is a corruptible body. It is a 
mortal body. But at the resurrection, everything's going to change, isn't it? The body that we possess in this life is composed of flesh and blood. Listen to what Paul said in verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. This physical earthly body is going to be transformed. The transformation is going to be such that we will have an incorruptible and immortal body. Listen now to what Paul said. Look again at verse 52. He said, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible. And he said, we shall be changed. This corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. And then he says in verse 54, when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, the body that you possess on this earth is not fit for heaven, is it? Now Paul would say in Philippians chapter 3 that our citizenship is in heaven whence also we wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul went on to say that when the Lord Jesus Christ comes, he will transform our lowly body like unto his glorious body in about verse 21. John would say in 1 John chapter 3, that we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's a marvelous thought. First of all, to think that we will be in the presence of the Lord Jesus. We'll be in the presence of God the Father, the Holy Spirit. But we'll also be in a place where our bodies, as we know them now, will be completely different. Now, exactly what this body's going to look like, I can't say. No sense in speculating. I just know that the body that I possess here on planet Earth will be raised. And it will, as Paul said, be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. The body will be raised and it will be changed. It is a corruptible body today. It will be an incorruptible body tomorrow. It is an immortal body today. It will be, or rather it's a mortal body today. It will be an immortal body tomorrow. That is, at the resurrection. So there will be a viable change. But then there will be a victorious cry. Listen now to what Paul says in verse 54. He said, when this corruptible is put on incorruption, this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, and this is taken from the Old Testament. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where's your sting? O Hades, where's your victory? You ever thought about how many people die in America every day, every 24 hours? Approximately 67 to 6,800 people die daily in this country. Worldwide, every day, every 24 hours, about 150,000 people step out into eternity. Hard to imagine, isn't it? 
Since we began our service tonight, when we began our announcements, there is a clock that once you tap into it, will tell you how many people have departed once you get on that website. How many people, Jared? 1,500 people since approximately 6 p.m. tonight are in eternity. Now you just think about that for a minute. That's sobering. That many people stepping out into eternity every second, every minute, every hour, every week, every month, every year. Let me tell you why it's not going to slow down either. We live in a world of death. You go to the cemetery and you see marker after marker after marker after marker. Friday night, some of us went to the cemetery and we sang songs in memory of Andrew. It was a year ago that Andrew died. We sang songs, Jared spoke, and we thought about Andrew. It was a sad day when we placed his body in that grave. But it will be a glad day one day. Because that young body that was placed in that grave will one day come forth. When we see that resurrected body of Andrew, it'll be different. It'll be the same body, but it will be different. It will be a body that is not composed of flesh and blood. It will not be a corruptible body. It'll be an incorruptible body. It will not be a mortal body. It will be an immortal body. And you think about the blessings of dying in Christ. And the blessings that we have as Christians to bask in the victory, to rest in the assurance that there is life after death. Have you ever thought about those who live as if there is no God? And those who, in a very blatant way, say they do not believe in God, they believe that life is all there is? What a grim, bleak existence that would be. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Every every grave that is opened and later closed will be opened again. And those of us who die in Christ, as Paul said, we gain a victory, don't we? Now, John would write in Revelation chapter 14, verse 13, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. Yes, says the Spirit that they may rest from their labors. And he said, their works do follow them. Paul would say, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I think about little Andrew. He gained a victory. He doesn't have to put up with this world anymore. He doesn't have to experience the sorrows and the heartaches and the trials and the tribulations and temptations that we face on a daily basis. It's behind him. So he could say in Philippians 1, 23, to depart and be with Christ is far better. And then, to know that the Lord Jesus himself has given us that victory 
over death, hasn't he? Listen to what Paul said in verse 56. The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through whom? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory is possible by and through Jesus Christ. That's the only way we can be victorious over death. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew writer said that Jesus has destroyed him who has the power of death. That is the devil. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14. The devil has wrecked havoc on the human family. Because of what he did in the Garden of Eden, and I understand that Adam and Eve had the ability to make choices, and they chose unwisely. And based on succumbing to the temptations that were presented to them, death made its entrance into the world. That is, physical death. Paul said in Romans 5 verse 12, through one man... Death entered into the world, and death by sin, for all have sinned. So death is a byproduct of what happened in the garden. That is physical death. But there were, there's a second form of death that came as a result of the transgression of Adam and Eve. And that is spiritual death, separation from God. And the only way that chasm can be overcome is Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul would say, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to Jesus when he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Paul would say he's brought life and immortality to light. Through what? The gospel. We preach a message of hope. A message that says, if you obey, if you live in conformity to the will of God, what do you have? Everlasting life, don't you? You have that assurance. There's a third thing I want you to see in our study. And that is, we talk about the manifestation of the Lord and then the transformation by the Lord. But what about the exhortation in the Lord. You have to understand, Paul is writing to saints in the first century. He's writing to people that had come out of lives of idolatry, lives of immorality. He identified them as members of the church of God. To those that had been sanctified in Christ Jesus, they were called saints in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. They were people that were acknowledged as stewards in chapter 4 verse 2 and he said that which is required of a steward is that a man be found faithful so what is it that the Lord requires of us we talk about the requirements of the Lord what is it God would have me to do as one of his children what would he have had those in Corinth to do well listen to him in verse 58 in light of the resurrection in light of the hope that is before us, here's what Paul said. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not vain in the Lord. First, there is a mandate that is given. We talk about the mandate given to those of us who are in the faith. That mandate is that we're to be immovable. As Paul said, we are to be steadfast. 
We have to be resilient and faithful. Are we going to get knocked to the ground from time to time? Absolutely. When we get knocked to the ground, what do we do? Well, John tells us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's the mandate to live a faithful life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus would say in Revelation 2, verse 10, be faithful until death. The promise being the crown of life, that is the Stephanos, the victor's crown. James would say in light of the outward trials of life and the inward temptations that are posed to us on a daily basis, he would say, blessed is the man that endures temptation. For when he has been tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to them that love him. What, what Paul is saying here is, as a child of God, you can't afford to give up any ground as a Christian. You can't yield to the advancements of the devil. Now here's what Paul would say in writing to the church at Ephesus. He said, neither give place. Some translations may say, neither give opportunity to the devil. In other words, don't let him get a foothold in your life. You've got to stand fast and firm in the faith. You've got to be steadfast. You've got to be immovable. What does it mean to be immovable? It means I'm not going anywhere. I'm digging down and digging in. And I look at life from the perspective of eternity. And I understand that what the Lord wants from me is to hang in there, to not give up. I've said before, discouragement is a tremendous tool of the devil. And the devil can use a lot of different tactics to discourage us in the faith. And what Paul is saying is, you've got to dig in and you've got to be resilient. You've got to say, I'm in this thing for the long haul, come what may. I'm not giving up. I'm not going to give out. I'm not going to give in. And then we talk about the mandate in the faith. Paul said be steadfast, immovable. Note, if you would, the mission that is set forth for those of us in the faith. He said, always abounding in the work of the Lord. What do you think Paul's saying there? I think what he's telling us is we have to be involved in the faith, don't we? If we're, not, if we're not involved in the work of the church, something is amiss in our lives. There's more to Christianity than meeting on Sunday. It's important. But what the Lord wants us to do is to use our talents or abilities for his cause. In chapter 12 of this same book, Paul said there are many members but one body. The body of Christ is unique in that it is singular in nature. But each and every one of us are a member of that blood-bought body. And so when Jesus pictured that last day, that great and final day in Matthew chapter 25, to those on the right hand, he said... I was hungry. 
and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was naked, you clothed me. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was sick and in prison and you visited me. It's amazing how some people think that they can float through life and be identified with the body of Christ and never lift one finger for the cause. It doesn't work that way. In James chapter 2, James said that works are an expression of our faith, are they not? In other words, we demonstrate our love for the Lord Jesus Christ and our faith in Him by involvement in the body of Christ. Now there are many areas of involvement. You think about evangelism. The door is wide open. There are a lot of people in this area that need to hear the gospel of Christ. And there are people that are in this area that may never hear the gospel without you taking the time to share that message with them. Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. The world for us is our backyard, isn't it? Across the fence. Could be a family member, could be a friend, could be a classmate, could be a co-worker. It might be somebody that we get together with on a regular basis and maybe play golf with or bowl or whatever. The bottom line is we're sharing the gospel. And then there's edification, that is, the building up of the church. In order for the church to be built up, we have to have an effective teaching program, don't we? And I can promise you, this congregation is always in need of teachers. There's a place for you. It might be that you're somewhat fearful to take on that task, but I would encourage you, jump in, because you're needed. And then, benevolence. It's been said before that people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. One of the ways that we can evangelize people is by reaching out to them, helping them. Paul said, as we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, and especially them which are the household of faith. So these are opportunities for involvement. And by the way, we have a focus group. I'm not sure how many people are a part of that group. I know, I know that the group met last Sunday night. I know this, there's room for you, room for all of us. What we have to have are people to sign on, sign in, get busy. The church can grow here spiritually and numerically if we work together. So there's a mission set forth. And then what about that motivation? What motivates us to be steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord? Well, what motivates us is there's an inheritance, isn't there? We talk about heavenly incentives. Listen again to what Paul said. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the word of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not vain in the Lord. What's the old saying? There's a payday someday. To know that, as the Hebrew writer said, God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. 
When Christianity becomes a labor of love, it's not work. If you love what you do, it's not work, I promise you. You may have a job. You may be blessed. You may be blessed to have a job that you love. And you're anxious to get to work every day. Now, it may be that you don't. But if you do, you know what I'm talking about. You don't dread Monday. You don't dread Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever. Because you love it. What about that inheritance? Well, here's what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1. He said we have an inheritance. And you know what? It's based on the resurrection of Jesus. We have, as he would say, a living hope. So we have an inheritance. It is incorruptible. It's undefiled. And he said it fades not away. Now wrap your mind around that. Fades not away. We live in a world that has a starting point and an ending point, don't we? A beginning and an end. What we're talking about is being in a place that is unending. In a place where we'll never have to say goodbye again. You ever said goodbye to a friend or family member? I know you have. We say goodbye all the time. There's coming a day when we will never again have to look somebody in the eyes and talk about parting ways. That ought to be appealing to us. We ought to want to go to heaven more than anything else. Sometimes people talk about their bucket list, things they want to accomplish before they die. Well, we're going to die. We can just mark that down. It's coming. We just don't know when unless the Lord comes first. But let me tell you what. If you've got a bucket list, at the top of that bucket list, you better have heaven. Talk about things you want, you want out of life. First and foremost ought to be heaven. Has heaven lost its appeal? Not if you read the scriptures. Not if you've come face to face with death like we have. It's a reality. So there's a place. It's far better than where we live today. Think about the beauty of this earth. It's amazing. The handiwork of God. As the, as the psalmist said, the heavens declare the glory of God. and The firmament shows his handiwork. You have to stand in awe of the creation especially this time of year, the change of seasons, the resurrection of life. Don't you think if this world is as beautiful as it is, that it is but a prelude to the beauty and grandeur of heaven? You don't want to miss heaven. You don't want to miss it for anything. As we sang a moment ago, loved ones are watching and waiting. One day we'll be reunited with people that we've loved, that we've had to say goodbye to temporarily. But there's coming a day in which we'll be together forevermore. I hope you're bound for the promised land. So I'd ask you tonight, are you a Christian? If you're not a child of God, you need to understand you don't have any hope. You're without hope, as Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. What changes... That state, that situation is the blood of Christ.
Because Paul said in Ephesians 2.13, But now in Christ Jesus, you that, were, you that once were far off are brought near, made nigh by the blood of Christ. So if you're outside of Christ, you need to get inside Christ. And the only way to get into Christ is to be baptized into Christ. When you do that, your sins will be washed away, Acts twenty two sixteen, And you'll be well on your way to that beautiful place called heaven. If you're here tonight and you're not what you ought to be, you're not steadfast, immovable, you haven't been abounding in the work of the Lord, could I encourage you to make it a point tonight that you're going to change enough of a lukewarm life. You're going to be busy and active and serving the Lord. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you. James said, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. We'd be happy to do that for you tonight and with you as we stand and sing.